welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. It is good to see everyone, and we're doing our best to get seats for anyone walking up on the waiting list, too. And those of you at home, thanks for joining us this Easter Sunday, kind of a momentous day at Easter 2021. It's been over a year in COVID, and we believe, uh, you know, good news is just around the corner, and we're praising God to keep, continue to carry us through. You know, there's a recent Gallup survey that said they found people improve their mental health during COVID by four percentage points. You want to know how? By attending weekly worship. Okay, And then to add to that, a 2013 uh, survey, a study confirmed what's known as the cheerleader effect. If you've ever heard of this before, I've mentioned it once before, that a person scored 5.5% higher on the attractiveness scale when seen in a picture with a group versus them being in a picture by themselves. So what that means is that you get a 4% increase in improved mental health and a 5% bump in attractiveness just by coming to church. So I just want to let you know, you're welcome. You're welcome, okay? So we are really glad you're here joining us for Easter services. We talk about our heavenly hope in Christ. We look forward to seeing everybody in person as good news continues to come. And in our county, for those of you at home as well, we know many have already messaged us telling us we're coming, we're coming. And we know in the weeks to come, we'll be indoors, we'll have more capacity, all the good news. But hasn't it been great to be outside all this time? I want to thank you for being with us. We're looking forward to welcoming you at home. If you're able, we're going to read from Acts chapter 2. Do you stand uh, as I read Acts 2? I'm going to read verses 22 to 24. I'll also be covering up through verses 27. But I'm going to read just these three verses. And we're going to spend some time in God's Word this Easter Sunday 2021. This is Peter preaching on Pentecost. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise be to God. You guys can have a seat. If you're following along, you can keep open Acts chapter 2. You might take a note or two as we go along. What I want to do, I want to give you kind of a big picture overview. Uh, But first of all, I want you to see in Acts 2, verses 14 through 36, we are actually hearing the very first sermon ever given by a Christian. What Peter says in Acts 2.23, what we just read, he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, you killed by the hands of lawless men. What is Peter saying? Well, first of all, you know that Peter is talking to a group of Jews who've traveled from all over the Roman Empire and from the Middle East. They've come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And now what we're seeing is that it's unlikely that these people he's speaking to were actually present 50 days prior when Jesus was killed. But Peter knew that the religious council had no authority to execute Jesus. And so what they did, they manipulated the Roman judicial system in order to murder Jesus. These are the lawless men that Peter is talking about. 
And yet Peter, what he does, he lays the death of Jesus at the feet of all of his people. He's saying, we killed the Messiah. It was our sin that put him on the cross. In a sense, blaming all of Israel, his own people, for killing their own Jewish Messiah. And so what Peter is doing is similar to what the Apostle Paul, the converted Pharisee, would do and say in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a gap between imperfect humans and our perfect God, and there must be a rescue plan in order to make up the difference. See, every human is far from God. We can't make it back to God's family on our own. Our sin requires a savior. That's what the Bible says. That's what Peter's preaching. And so everyone here today, everyone listening at home, everyone here is either a Christian who was blown away by the grace of God. That could be you. Or you're a yet-to-be Christian who perhaps for the first time is considering and realizing that their brokenness in their life requires something outside of themselves in order to bring healing. That there's something missing that in of yourself you cannot fill your own need. Now, so there are two kinds of people in this story. Acts 2 describes, I'm going to give you an overview, that describes the beginning of the church. First we see is that Jesus' followers are in Jerusalem. They get filled by the Spirit. You could read the verses in, in the earlier of the chapter. And amazing things happen. The Spirit equips them to supernaturally teach the gospel in different languages that they've never studied before. They didn't even have Duolingo back then. They had no opportunity to miraculously and instantly know these languages. And so what happens that Peter then takes this opportunity to tell all these people how Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures. That's what happens in verses 14 to 36. What happens after that? Thousands repent. So it's 3,000 men. That's not even counting women and children who would later turn to Christ. They trust Jesus to forgive their sins. They become Jesus followers themselves, and they start gathering for worship. Now, what Peter does, he clarifies that though his listeners are guilty of crucifying Jesus, as we all are guilty of sin, of this gap between us and God, what Peter says is this. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. What Peter is saying is this. That means Jesus willingly gave up his life for you and me. This was all part of a plan of God. This was Jesus' plan. He gave his life. That means this is a love story. This is a rescue mission. But unlike any other rescue mission, the plan was for Jesus to lay down his life so that you could have life, so that this world could have hope. Now, Jesus' words here, he uses his word, um, was the definite plan, the foreknowledge of God. Those words imply that God understood every variable, understood every outcome, every possibility, and he decided his purpose would best be met to make this gap up between sinful human beings like you and me and a perfect God. He says, I am computing as a master mathematician, the best plan is to offer myself as a sacrifice to satisfy this gap. Now, I was a UCLA math major. Not saying I was good at it, okay? I was great at lower division math, and then, which was great because I'm really good with real life, 
three-dimensional people. I know I'm, I know I'm two-dimensional to you at home, but three dimensions, right? And then the fourth dimension is time. So we, we live in a fourth-dimensional world. I did great in lower division math at UCLA. But then upper division math, I took a class, and they're saying, well, let's talk about the fifth dimension. I'm like, wait, what? What? <laughs> oh, in the sixth dimension, in the seventh dimension. I said, I don't understand this. So there, is, there are multiple dimensions outside our, our four dimensions. And even in the mathematical atheistic world, there is a fifth dimension where time gets bent, where past, present, and future can all meet. Guess where God lives? He's not stuck and confined by our fourth dimensions. He chose to enter into it. Why? Because he loves us. He chose to take on our scars, to take on our pain, because he loves us and wants to show us a way home. That God, the master mathematician, computed all the possibilities and all the potential and all the variables and said, here's my master plan. I'm going to offer myself. It's part of a love story that the world might know there's a way home. See, God stands outside of our space and time. And so for him, past, present, and future, he can experience at any moment And somehow in the mystery of it all, Jesus taking the cross, he's able to pay for our sins, past, present, and future. Do you get this? Only God could do that. There's no other sacrifice could do that, right? He he says, I'm the only one who can do this. Because in me, past, present, and future all are contained in my pinky. And so I will offer myself and take my whole body and take my life. The son, in his limitless knowledge, chose to become human, die on a cross, take on our sins, past, present, and future, so that we can say no to our life of sinful independence of God. God, you can stay in the back burner, or God, get out of my life. Instead of that, we can say yes to giving our full allegiance to Christ our King. And so in a sense, when Jesus came, it was like Jesus was coming down from heaven. This is perfect timing. Do you see that? <laughs> Jesus was coming down to bring heaven to us. That's how good of a God we serve. He came out of that whatever other dimension he lives in. He entered into our four-dimensional space and he offered his life. Heaven came down to us. You see, in this story that we're reading, that Peter is, is preaching at, there are two kinds of people. Those who believe that Jesus truly is God in the flesh, who has risen from the grave, But there's also another group of people who are trying to make themselves right with God by being religious. Did you notice that in the story? These are religious people. They went to church. They probably tithed. They observed festivals. They they probably even uh, did good things. They were good people. They thought they were going to heaven. They probably even cheered on the UCLA Bruins last night. I mean, these are really, really good people, okay? But you know what? can never be good enough to convince God to let you in. It must be received as a gift. It must be received as one who knows we can never be good enough. I can never be religious enough. I can never be rich enough. I can never be moral enough. Because you can never be good enough to get close enough to God to somehow earn your way into heaven. And our world is too broken to avoid sin and to avoid pain. We're stained by it. 
You and I must look to Jesus alone in his resurrection power. That's exactly what Peter's talking about in verses 24 through 27. Let me read this. Peter says, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him, Christ, to be held by it. For David says concerning him, which is Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor let your holy one see corruption. What Peter is doing, he's pointing to a resurrection life found exclusively in Jesus. This is the holy one predicted hundreds of years before from Psalm 16. That's what Peter is doing. He's quoting Psalm 16. By the way, it's exactly the same thing that Jesus did, quoting Psalm 16 to point to himself. Psalm 16, that says that David knew that there would come one day a holy one, who would be raised up, who would not see decay. This is Jesus's victory over death. This is Easter, which now becomes your victory as you put your faith in Jesus. See, because those who trust in Christ, you don't have to ever look back. Those who seek security in him can have great hope today because God's life, his very life is in them. That is what Psalm 16 is talking about. That is what Peter is doing, preaching to these crowds. You see, the gospel says that only by trusting in Christ can you find the hope and security and love that you long for. Every single one of us, nothing else will do. It's not Buddhism, which teaches us to anesthetize ourselves, to numb the pain. You might choose Buddhism or you might choose alcohol to numb yourselves from the pain. It's not Eastern thought either which tells us very popular these days too, that just, you just need to converge with the world and the universe's energy, right? Go take a walk in the forest and feel the energy and, and you'll find salvation and hope and healing through Eastern thought. But the reality is our world is far too broken to try to escape it or, or to believe that we can fix it without Jesus, right? The one in whom past, present, and future is contained in his pinky, Jesus, he's the only one who has the capacity to make all of the wrongs in this world made right. See, the gospel is not moralism that says, become a better person, go to church, get more religious, nor is it irreligion, which says it doesn't matter what you follow as long as you're true to who? Yourself. You, knew, you know that gospel, right? As long as you're sincere, as long as you're true to yourself. The Bible says there's no way to get, to get close to God through religion or irreligion. It's got to be through Jesus. You see, the gospel says that God himself has come down. And instead of removed, removing suffering, listen to this, he took on suffering. <laughs> he took it on. Pain and scars. He took it on. So you have a choice. You can put your faith in Christ, Right? The eternal one who chose to, to submit himself for a time to our four dimensions. You can trust that one who made every single cell in your body, right? And put your faith in him. Or you can reject him. See, but Jesus, cross, Jesus Christ took a cross. He entered into our, our dimensions to prove to each one of us that he is the one that David speaks about from Psalm 16. Read it later this week. Psalm 16 says there's a God who is near. A God who brings gladness, a God who brings joy, a God who brings hope, that this God will never abandon you, nor will he ever fade away. That this God welcomes you into this life that offers freedom from your sin, from your pain, from your rejection, 
Why? Because of resurrection power, because of Easter. And it not only gives you a hope for a future world that one day I'll get to heaven, but it is hope to live today. Anyone here need some hope? Anyone watch the news? Looks like a hopeless world out there, doesn't it? The pain keeps multiplying. But in Jesus, there's hope. I have a picture on the screens for you at home for the, those here. I know it's hard to see if you're too far away. This is a picture of Kim Fook. It's one of the best-known photographs from the Vietnam War of a young nine-year-old girl whose clothes were burned off her body by napalm, running through the village in terror, her arms outstretched. This napalm bomb was wrongly, accidentally dropped on her village by the South Vietnamese Air Force. Now, after months of hospitalization, nine-year-old Kim had multiple surgeries. She found some healing, but her life would never be the same. What doctors couldn't heal, Kim says, was her heart. She was bitter. She says, the anger inside me was like a hatred high as a mountain. Now, Kim believed in Cao Dai, the traditional Vietnamese religion that actually is a syncretistic religion. It says uh, Islam is true, and Hinduism is true, and Christianity is true, and everything is true. You choose. Worship all of these different gods. She prayed to them, but none of them ever brought her peace. She tried and tried and tried for years. She prayed to these gods. They never took away the pain inside. And so as a 19-year-old, with all the scars, all the burning, she found in her Vietnamese library, in a communist regime, somehow in New Testament, she pulls out the shelf. She was reading all the other great holy books. And somehow she read about the life of Jesus. And something stirred in her. Something stirred in her that maybe this man is true. She read John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And something in her says, maybe this is the man who can take away my pain. It was some months later. She was invited to a, a church service. And she heard this simple gospel, just what we preach today, simple gospel preached about putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone, and she did. And that little girl in the photo, I didn't realize this until recently, that little girl in the photo now shares the hope found in Christ. She found peace. She found healing that she could never find anywhere else outside of Jesus. She found healing for her scars. See, she was lost until she realized there really was a God of love that made sense of out of all the pain in her life. There really is a God who can make good come out of the bad. Friends, this is the same God who is here today and can make sense out of all the bad in your life, out of all the bad in this world. In Christ, he can make good things come out of the very bad things. God didn't send the bad things. He can do that in your life. And that same God who rose Jesus from the grave is here today, and he's coming back to make all things new. But you don't have to wait until then. He could do that now. Kim started handing over every burden, every dream to this God she now served. She says this, my purpose now is to glorify his name. And her life verse is Psalm 118, verse 17, which says this, I shall not die, but live to declare the work of the Lord. I have a question for you. 
Do you have sickness? Do you have pain? Do you have anger? Do you have bitterness? Or maybe is there something going on in the world today? There's so much pain that you see that just burdens your heart. Maybe it's not affecting you as directly as it affects someone else, but it just weighs you down. Give it to the Lord. The one who stands outside our space and time can enter into you. And the power of the resurrection is offered to you. Give it to the Lord. Do as Psalm 16 says, dwell in his hope. Because in Christ, your pain is a platform to point to possibilities because of Christ, because of the one who entered in. The one who contains all things can take your little life and make something good come out of the mess. He's done it in my life. He can do it in yours. Peter says in Acts 2.38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, our new mission statement for Carmel Press says that we glorify God and we make disciples by connecting people to Christ. That means we get really excited anytime someone is connecting to Christ. You know, right now in the nation of Thailand, on this day in Easter, there are uh, roughly uh, 1,500 new believers who are celebrating Easter for the first time because they just got baptized last fall because there is a Holy Spirit revival breaking out in Thailand. Now, this is close to my heart. It's the first place I visited as a mission trip back in 1989. Traveled all the way to Thailand. I learned that uh, Christianity had been there for over 100 years, but was making no inroads over 100 years. No new Christians were being made. They're so resistant to the gospel. The Buddhism was so steeped, and these other religions were so steeped that they couldn't make an inroad. Now, 33 years later, God is doing amazing work. It's the Holy Spirit doing this amazing work in Thailand. And so we celebrate that people are connecting to Christ. It's the Spirit at work. You know, here's an interesting thing. Whenever I went to Thailand, we were visiting these villages where the gospel was being preached and these very, very, very poor uh, friends that we were meeting with. They had very little, so poor. We went into their hut and every single hut we went into, no matter how barren it was, you know what they all had though? They had a TV and they were watching American television. That was their great hope. Consumerism. If Buddhism wasn't working, maybe being more American will. None of it will satisfy. And now thousands of people in Thailand are coming to faith every year. They're realizing the simple message that Peter preached, the simple message that Kim responded to, that changed her life, that nothing outside of myself except Jesus can heal the pain in me, can fill this empty void. It's got to be him. Peter was claiming that the same spirit that worked miracles through Jesus, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave on Easter, is the same spirit who's leading a revival in Thailand, really. It's the same one who can lead a revival in your life, that resurrection life is available to you. So here's the good news. Christianity works not only in Vietnam and Thailand. It works for Americans. Isn't this great news? Jesus works for Americans. This is great. That resurrection life is available to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who realizes I can't handle 
all the pain and scars in this world on my own. No amount of my good or philanthropy, no matter how much money I throw at it, all good things. I need Jesus. I need someone outside our space and time. I need someone whom, with whom past, present, and future are held in his pinky to come and join with my finite being and give me the power to live with hope today because I watch the news and sometimes I don't have a lot of hope. But in Christ, all of that pain, all of the scars can point to something better. Kim Fook, I have another photo up there, a picture of her a little bit older with scars on her back still. She became a Christian, but before she became a Christian, she had so much anger against the ones who burned her, as well as the communist regime, which forced her to promote propaganda by showing her scars. They paraded her around, right, to talk about, of course, the evil dogs around the world. After finding Christ, she said it changed the story of her life. She says this, I know he's not finished with me yet. Even though I suffer a lot of scars and suffer a lot of pain, I know God is great and that God is love. And I want to know, I want people to know that God is good. When they see my scars, I want them to know that God is good. God wants to use you the same way. When people see your scars, that people would know that God is good. She says, the doctors healed my body, but only God healed my heart. Years later, she met a man who believed he had assisted in the mistaken airstrike on her innocent village that day. And riddled with guilt, the man came up to her crying. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she embraced him and says, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Where did she get that power to forgive? Jesus, it's only because of the healing she experienced from the one who stands outside our space and time but enters in and offers you that same resurrection life. The Holy Spirit gave her the power to forgive her enemies. And that same spirit that gives Kim Fook the power to forgive lives in you in Christ. That same spirit gives you the power to make sense out of your scars, to make sense out of your pain, to make sense out of the senseless. Let me ask you, do you know this God? who can make good come out of the bad. God isn't the one who sent the bad, but he is the one who can take your scars and change your story. You know, last Friday, we had a very nice day like this. And so at our house in Monterey, we had the front door open. Very nice day. In comes flying in a hummingbird. Does this ever happen to you in your home? Hummingbird flew in and, of course, starts hitting its head against the glass, right? Why did it come in? It was coming after the flowers in our kitchen. But listen to this. They were fake flowers. It came in trying to get the nectar, and then it's trying to get out, realizing this guy played a joke on me, right? Hitting his head against the window, so I come in quickly. I was yelling, hummingbird, hummingbird in the house, and I open the sliding doors, and the hummingbird escapes, and so you're looking at a hero. just want to let you know I saved that hummingbird's life, I believe. Let, let me tell you this, friends. You can waste your life chasing after imposters. You can waste your life thinking, if I just get that nectar, it'll fill me up. You can waste your life thinking that all these other paths to God will lead you to God, lead you to inner peace. You can waste your life thinking, if I just converge myself with the energy in the forest and energy in the universe, then I'll be happy. You can waste your life thinking that money or success or comfort will satisfy, or you can imprison yourself 
by all the very real pain and scars that you have experienced. That's your choice. And some of us, it's our choice because we're in control. I'm going to hold on to my bitterness. I'm going to hold on to my anger because finally I'm in control. You'll never find the peace you're looking for, though, in any of these things. Outside of Jesus, the one who instead of eradicating suffering, took on suffering, took on scars. Maybe in some ways he kept his scars to remind you he understands your pain, the brokenness of this world. You can imprison yourself chasing after all of these false hopes, or you can feast on the one who calls himself the bread of life. You can drink from the one who claims out of me are living waters from whom will never cease and you will never thirst again. So as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, our communion supper today, we are reminded what it's all about on this Easter. This God in the brilliance of his mind says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to offer myself. I'm going to enter into their space and time. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die so that they might have a way home back with me for eternity. So on this Easter, we come to the Lord's table, recognizing God's real presence. It's a table for anyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a Carmel Presbyterian table at all. It's for all who confess Jesus as Lord. And perhaps for the first time, you want to call Jesus your Lord. We invite you to partake of this supper as well. Before we take it, I want to tell a little story. There's a story about a little girl who went to her mommy and asked, Mommy, why do you cut the ends off the meat before you cook it? And the girl's mother said it added flavor by allowing the meat to better absorb the spices. But she also told her, you better ask grandma because she's the one who taught me to do that. So the little girl found her grandma and asked, Grandma, why do you and mommy cut off the ends of the meat before you cook it? And grandma says, well, I think it allows the meat to stay tender because it soaks up the juices better. You know, but you should ask your nana because she's the one who taught me. And so a little frustrated, the little girl goes, climbs on the lap of her great-grandma and says, Nana, why do you cut off the ends of the meat before you cook it? And the Nana says, well, I had to. My cooking pot wasn't big enough. <laughs> right? Generation after generation, they never understood why. Friends, as we take the Lord's Supper today, let's remember why we take it. There's a holy one predicted hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up in the scene that there'd be a holy one who would not decay, a holy one who cannot be held down by death. And Peter says David was talking about Jesus. And this Jesus somehow left his throne, left his dimension, came into our dimension of space and time and says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take on suffering for you that you might say yes and find a way home back to the family that I created for you to be with me forever. It'd be so easy for us to come to this moment without really understanding eating the bread and drinking the cup, but we ask that all of you would consider the true meaning of this moment. Jesus Christ, his body, his blood. Let's let that reality sink in where the presence of the one who took on our pain and sins so we could be eternally healed. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, 
visit our website at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.